get your coffee? Donuts? Lost an hour of sleep? Yeah, yeah that's good. That's good. It's good to see you guys this morning. dangerous. Now, you've heard it said that you anything you can set your mind to, you can accomplish. Have you ever heard that? Like, if you just put your mind to something, you can make it happen. Um, even if it's difficult, even if you don't know exactly how to do it, if you put your mind to something, you can make it happen. Um, it's amazing when you look at our minds and you understand how our minds function and how they work, how we can actually set our minds on something, head down the path and create something almost out of nothing. Uh, one of the things I like to do is look at um, landscape and just and when you go back where someone else has gone and created something, just to see people's minds and creativity take nothing and turn it into something is a pretty awesome thing. It's really, really cool. Um, I'm amazed at how people can actually create and invent and come up with all these crazy ideas to, and they actually see it through. Our minds are very, very powerful. Uh, we're going to look uh, start the morning in the book of e Ecclesiastes. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can flip there. Um, we're on our Bible app as well. If you want to follow along on your smartphone, go to live events, and then you can find Bethel Community Church and go along there. But Ecclesiastes was written by a man that Scripture says was the wisest man that ever lived. It says, as dead flies cause even a bottle of perfume to stink, so a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. And so just to start out the, the chapter, he's talking about flies. If you see flies hovering over something and landing on something, most likely that thing is dead or dying uh, because flies tend to attract or are attracted to things that will die. And so if you see the dead flies are in a bottle of perfume, don't touch it. It's going to spoil just like wisdom with a little foolishness, is spoiled. Verse 2.
I point my life in the right direction in order to be sharp in my mind? We're going to talk specifically about becoming mentally dangerous, and I could say, hey, read more books and improve your grades. I was talking to William, and I was like, hey, William, we can improve our grades, right? You have a few months left in the school year. You can improve your grades. You can do it. And a lot of us would think that wisdom or knowledge is how we sharpen our minds, but we're going to look at kind of a different um, take on it in Scripture. We're looking at the life of Gideon, and the life of Gideon, he's talking specifically about how God called him in the book of Judges into this dangerous mission that Gideon was actually the dangerous one that was going to go accomplish a task that God had called him to. And over the last few weeks, uh, the last three weeks, we've been talking about you're dangerous, dangerous, we're spiritually dangerous. And if you uh, need to go back and listen to those, I recommend that to walk through the life of Gideon. And then we've taken the New Testament and we've seen how God has called you and I into the same. So today we're going to specifically talk about mentally dangerous. God has called each of us into this life to be dangerous. It's not dangerous because it's dangerous to be a believer. It's actually dangerous because you are dangerous. The spirit of the living God lives in you. If you know Jesus and if you have a relationship with Jesus, he lives in you. And there is nothing more dangerous to the enemy than knowing a child of God has the spirit of God living in him. And so today we're going to talk about mentally dangerous. We're going to have to sharpen our axes. And some of you are going to lead a lot more work than others. Oh, Go like this to your neighbor. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that to your neighbor, especially if you're sitting by your wife. Do not do that, okay? But we're going to have to sharpen our axe. How is it that we're going to sharpen our axe, and how can we get to the point where we are understanding that our minds are the most important thing that the enemy attacks? The enemy whispers lies into our ears, and our minds take on, and our minds begin to pursue and begin to think and we begin to um, create or imagine lies from the enemy and the lies from the enemy we begin, begin to believe. Most of our battles are in our mind and the lies that we believe. We need to confront those live, lies and get them out of our lives. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The mind is a powerful place where the enemy loves to take over because he understands that wherever your mind is headed, that's where your life's going to head. And so he's going to do some damage in your minds. Our minds are weapons for good or bad. We're looking at the life of Gideon, as I said, in the book of Judges. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 6 specifically. Now, just to kind of give you a background from the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a book that was written right after the Israelites came out of Egypt as slaves. They came into the promised land, and they were in the promised land, and God had said, go take over the land. They did, and then they were living there, and this book kind of tells the story of what happens after things settled. They didn't get all the enemies out. They actually came, and they lived with the enemy, and we see that the enemy had infiltrated their lives, and over and over again, the enemy began to lead them away from the worship of God, the, the worship of Yahweh, the Israelite God. In chapter 6, we see that God called Gideon to accomplish a mission. He didn't feel prepared to do it. And we're going to pick up in verse 25 of Judges chapter 6. So Judges chapter 6, verse 25, we're going to see a mission, kind of a small mission that God sent Gideon on to prepare him for the rest of the battle. Verse 25 says, That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take a second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then he built an altar to the Lord, uh, then built an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary. 
laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, and then use the fuel of the Asherah pole you cut down. And so you see the action that God told Gideon to take. First, he says, pull down the altar, cut down the Asherah pole, build an altar, and then use the fuel from the Asherah pole on the altar that you built from the Asherah pole you cut down. And so we're going to talk more about this in community group this week. So get into your group starting tonight, and we're going to talk more about this, about these idols, these Asherah pole and Baal. But Baal and Asherah were actually um, gods of the harvest. They were fertility gods, but for the harvest. And so um, the Israelites were actually worshiping gods of the harvest, the grain and the cattle. And so these two gods were supposedly over and being fruitful and allowing them to have better crops. In order for us to be mentally dangerous, we're going to have to sharpen our minds and eliminate some things from our lives. And in order for us to eliminate those things, we're going to have to understand the, where we're headed, where our minds are headed. You see how the, these things work together? God calls us to accomplish a task, but if our mind is not set on the goal, we're never going to accomplish the task. It's kind of like this idea, um, we're, we're all experiencing this uh, coronavirus, this kind of scare that's going around, but an, a virus spreads um, very easily, and it's kind of like an idea. Once an idea gets in your head, it begins to spread because this idea takes root in your mind, and then you can't get out of it, get out of your mind. Now, who has had a hard time not touching your face ever since you know? It's weird. We're not supposed to touch our face anyway, but it's kind of like, oh, I just did. And I, and I touch my face all the time. Christy's like, you're touching your face all the time. And I'm like, eh, no, I can't stop. It's the idea that I shouldn't touch my face, and therefore I do touch my face, because that's all I'm thinking about, right? So the things I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Just don't put your finger in your mouth. Ooh, that's a, that is all over the place. That's why I tell my kids, don't do that. So sharpening your axe, sharpening your mind. One of the things we need to do is eliminate idols from our lives. And we may not have an Asherah pole. We may not have an idol to ba- an altar to bail. Those may not be things that we experience in our daily lives, but all of us have idols. All of us have things that we pursue that we need to eliminate from our life. You've heard it said that your heart is an is a idol maker. It's an idol factory. Our hearts begin to pursue other things. So our hearts begin to produce things that our affection draws for, but our minds are actually the creators. So our hearts might be the, fa- the factory, but our minds are actually the creators of these idols. So we not only have the opportunity to follow Jesus, but we have an opportunity to confront these thoughts, to confront these mindsets, to confront these idols that we've been given many times by our own parents. Do you see in this passage that um, Gideon actually was worshiping an idol that his dad created, and God called him to tear away that idol, to destroy that idol that his dad had created? So I wonder, and one of the questions I was asking myself this week is, what are some of the idols that I've inherited from my parents? And this morning, I just want you to think about it just for a minute. What are some of the things that you naturally worship and maybe you've never thought about it this way, but today you are, that your parents gave you, you inherited from your parents. So think about it for a second. What are some idols that you worship because they were given to you by your mom and dad? So for me, I grew up in a very, very traditional, uh, maybe a legalistic home, and so I inherited the idol of self-righteousness. Like I thought I could actually achieve the goal of being self-righteous. I didn't need anything else. I could conform my life to follow God on my own without needing Jesus. Now, my parents didn't say that, but that's what I learned, and I inherited that from them. Some of you might have grown up in a home where um, your parents 
drank too much, maybe alcoholic. And so you inherited this idol where you're pursuing that. Or possibly um, certain th- mindsets, sports, or possibly a career or money. What are the idols that your parents gave you that you now worship? Gideon was not only called to tear down the idol altars, but he also was called to use the, the idol as fuel. It's interesting that he cut down the Asherah pole and then God says, use that to start the fire. We need to look at our own lives and say, okay, so these are the things that are in my life. These are the things that I worship. This is the attention that I give certain things. God's called me to tear them out and he's asked me to destroy them. So I'm not going to go back and rebuild it. Can you imagine the people in the town? They come up and we're going to see here in a minute and they rebuild the altar. Well, they couldn't because it was just ashes. There's so many things in our lives that if we don't watch it, we'll go back and re-worship the things that we've already taken out of our life. So let's cut them out. Our past does not have to define us. We can take those idols that we've inherited. We can cut them out. We do not have to remain under their influence or under their control. And some of us, it's the idol of fear. Some of it's the idol of anxiety. Some of it's the idol of depression. And you're like, well, Ray, that's not right. Let's pause for a second. We're talking about mentally dangerous, and our world is rampant with mental illness. We're not going to be talking about mental illness today, but mental illness is a real thing. It affects us. It's our, it's our disease of the, of, the, of the decade that we're confronting. And so if you have any kind of mental illness, please, please, please go to a doctor, find a doctor, find help, because you are not going to be able to overcome mental illness with just prayer. It won't work because there's a chemical imbalance or there's something in your brain that needs help. And so please go get help. So back into the message. We all inherit these idols from our parents. Which ones do we need to eliminate? What do we need to cut out? Let's look at verse 27. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. Love that passage. Love those, that phrase because over and over in the life of Gideon, he did as the Lord commanded him every time he asked him. So I wonder if we can have the same testimony or the same result in our own lives, that when God asks us to do something or he makes us aware of something to cut out of our lives, are we actually going to obey what he's commanded us to do? It says, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other member of his, of his father's house and the people of the town. So when we sharpen our minds and we begin to cut away at the things that affect us, we are actually going to do something and give us the, it gives us the power to do something that other people will not do. There's a side note here. You may have to start this journey all by yourself. In your family, you may be the only one that understand what God, understands what God is asking you to do, and you may have to start this journey alone. Do you see how Gideon went by himself at night? His family wasn't even aware of what he was doing. You may be the only one that's heading in the right direction. You may feel alone in the journey, but don't quit. Don't give up. Keep moving. You're doing the right thing. Verse 28. Then the next, early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down, um, and the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. It was just a bunch of ashes, and it says the people said to each other, who did this? And I think they were screaming, who did this? And after, after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, son of Joash. The word got out. Uh Uh-oh, it was him, and a mob went after him. Once you start eliminating idols, and once you start making decisions that other people are not making around you, people are going to take note, and they're going to be like, what is that person doing? They've lost their mind. They are crazy. But I would say again, don't quit. 
Keep moving. Don't give up. You're doing the right thing. Verse 30. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads this case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was known as Jerubbabel, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. It's interesting that his dad turned around and defended him once he realized it was his son that tore down the altar. The very man that had created the altar, the very man that had created the idol worship there, turned and defended his son. And I think his son had something to do with it. He was like, you know, maybe this is right. And so we see in this story pretty quickly the people turned around. In your life, you may be going through something similar, but you may not see the results this quickly. But I promise you, if you keep moving forward and you don't quit and you keep moving and you don't give up, you're doing the right thing, people sooner or later will turn around and say, man, there's something about this. This idea, this thing that they're pursuing is something that maybe I should pursue as well. When we sharpen our acts, when we sharpen our minds, and when we head in the right direction, something shifts in us. We see that Gideon was not there yet, but he was directionally heading in the right place. He was on the right path. And so a lot of times we come to a decision and we say, okay, I'm going to go here. And we start down the path and we say, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to get there. Directionally, we're heading in the right place. Christy and I were uh, in Arkansas this weekend. On the way up there, we looked at the map and it was faster to go up the turnpike and over Tulsa. And on the way back, I just put in home and just went. And then we went through this tunnel and I was like, there was no tunnel on the way up here. And I was like, uh-oh, I've done this before. I'm going the wrong way. And I looked at my map, and it was taking us a different route. And I'm like, dang it. I went, I'm, I'm heading towards Oklahoma south. <laughs> and so instead of, you know, instead of west, well, we eventually got here a few minutes later than we would have. And that's the problem many times is we put in the coordinates, and we got to stay on the path. We've got to continually be looking at our direction. Have you ever um, picked up a sharp object or taught your kids how to uh, weld a sharp object or have a sharp object in your hand, and then you tell them, watch where you're swinging that thing. Watch where you're swinging that thing. So when I was a kid, we moved to Costa Rica. Um, some of you know. Um, first thing I realized is all the kids my age, I was nine years old, they all had machetes. And I was like, Dad, I need a machete. And my dad's like, <laughs> So we went down to the machete shop, <laughs> and we got a machete, and I had this little machete, and he's like, watch where you're swinging that thing. And I was like, Dad, what can I cut? What can I cut? And he goes, well, there's a tree over there we want to get rid of. So he goes in the house, and I'm just like, I'm just going crazy. He comes back out. The tree was still standing, but everything else was destroyed. <laughs> what were you doing? Well, I don't know, Dad. He goes, were you not looking at the tree? And I was like, I just thought everything needed a little trim. <laughs> Dirt, mud, it was terrible. I wasn't looking at what he told me to chop down. <laughs> I was looking everywhere else for times in our minds, we begin to look for a target and we begin swinging our axe. And so I have some advice for axe swingers, because if you're going to sharpen your mind and you're going to head a certain direction, I've got some advice that I want you to take. Where you're looking determines your direction. Where you're looking determines your direction. If you think everything is something you're supposed to chop down, you're never going to be effective. It's where you're looking that determines your direction. We go where we look. 
you cannot eliminate what you don't see. So we got to be looking at the things that God has asked us to eliminate from our lives. We're going to look in Colossians chapter 3, and this is Paul once again giving, giving us instruction under the, the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, listen, I want you to set your sights somewhere, because if you are directionally challenged, I'm indoors, and I have no idea where north, south, east, west is. i got to go outside. I don't even know how to say it. i got to go outside in order to get the right direction. If you don't know where you're headed, you're going to get the wrong, get to the wrong place every single time. Verse 1 of chapter 3 of Colossians, it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And so Paul says this thing, he says, set your sights, and then he says, think about. And so these two things that are powerful statements that he says, we need to set our sights. Now, we all know exactly how to set our sights, because if you've ever pursued a relationship at all, like you guys that are married, you pursued a relationship, and so 22 years ago, this month actually, 22 years ago, right now, a couple days ago, what, 23 years ago? Yeah, 23 years ago, right now, thanks babe. I went to work, and I met this girl. She trained me that first day, and I was sitting there going, wow, this girl's beautiful. She's smart. She's passionate. She's training me. This is good stuff, and I set my sights, and I was like, Woof. all right, here we go. Hey, Christy, would like to go out on a, I couldn't even get it out of my mouth, no. Okay, try it again. Hey, can I take you? No. I just set my sights, though. I was honing it in. Wore her down, come up with ways. Don't, have, what are you doing? I have a microphone. No, you're, hey. It was borderline stalking, I think. It, Don't forget I have this microphone, okay? This is, <laughs> hello. She learned since the first service, okay. So, my car broke down. Can I get a ride to work? I was putting myself in a position so that she could only see me. And eventually, she couldn't say no. <laughs> 22 years, three years later, 23 years later, thank you, here we are. My sights were set in. You understand what I'm saying? Now, think about hunting. Now, this is not the same thing. In, in Spanish, the word for marriage is the word hunt. <laughs> I'm like, that's messed up. But anyway, so think about hunting. Those of you that have been hunting, every time you get your gun out and you want to take aim, you better set your sights, Right? You better get them right because just off a little bit, you'll never hit your target ever, even if it's just a tiny little bit. So you need to set your sights when you're hunting so that you make sure that you hit your target. You need to make sure you know what you're looking at so you hit the right target. I need to set my sights. And so Paul tells us here, he says, listen, you need to set your sights where? On the realities of heaven. Now, some people are asked, so, so, so where are you going to go when you die? Well, I hope I make it to somewhere nice, maybe heaven, I hope, and it's so unconvinced. And Paul's like, no, you need to set your sights where you're headed. You need to set your sights on the heaven realities. We are living in a world that is a supernatural world where if you could open your eyes and see the supernatural realities around you, it would scare you to death. And yet God says he is living in you and he is way more powerful than anything that's out there. And he said, if you'll set your sights on the heavenly realities, if you'll set your sights on where you're going, you will make your target every single time. It says Christ sits at the right of God's right hand. Many times when we go hunting, our guns need sight correction. Every time. 
And yet we wake up every single day and just get up and go instead of getting our minds sight corrected. Every single day we need to wake up and say, okay, God, where am I headed? What am I focusing on? What am I looking at? Where is my mind at? And get our minds set again on realities, on the spiritual heavenly realities. Where I put my treasure and what I pursue is where I'm going to end up later. Where my treasure is, where my affection is, and what I pursue is where I'm going to end up. I can't say, well, I want to be here and I want to pursue this and do something completely different. I'll end up over there. I'm not going to end up where I'm thinking I'm going to end up. You're, you, you can't just say, well, I hope, to, I hope to be here. You have to actually pursue it. So where are your sights set? He says, think about. This goes hand in hand. Sometimes we set our sights on something, but we don't let it consume our minds. We need to let it consume our minds. Thinking about it takes daily action, daily submission, daily sight correction, and thinking about it. When I met Christy, I couldn't stop thinking about her. That's all I, that's all I thought about. I was insane. And she said, borderline um, stalker, and if she wouldn't have said yes, eventually, I'd probably be in prison. Not that I was ever going to do anything evil. It was just like, what a pain in the rear this guy is. Cease and desist. Here's an, uh, an order to get away from me. But our minds need to be focused and our sight needs to be set. And we need to be thinking about heavenly realities constantly. Because be careful. Wherever your affection is, wherever your sights are set, you're going to make it. You're going to reach it every time. Verse 3. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul says, set your sights on heavenly realities. Think about where, think about Jesus or think about those heavenly things. And then he says, you've died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ. Our position determines our effectiveness. Where we're positioned determines how well we're going to be able to direct our mind. Swinging in the wrong position, swinging at the wrong thing is going to wear me out. I need to be in Christ. The normal distractions of this life do not affect my mental, my mental stability. We do not long for fulfillment or satisfaction from this life. The reason that we can take an axe to the dark world and push back darkness is because we are no longer distracted or tied to human interests. Our lives mean something far more than we can accomplish to the world's standards. There's a supernatural reality that invades our minds, and there's this mind shift that happens, that happens when we understand that we have died to this normal life. Because when we understand who Jesus is, He wakes us up and we're died to the normal realities. We read a few weeks ago that how can I face anything when the Spirit of the living God lives in me? It's because I don't have to fear. What's going to happen to me when I have the Spirit of the living God in me? Nothing can separate me from His love. I still live in this body, but I'm no longer dominated by its passions, its urges, and its desires, and I can mentally overcome all my anxiety, my stress, my addictions, and my direction because I am hidden in Christ. I think it's interesting that Paul says here that you are hidden in Christ and Christ in God. When my kids are scared, when there's thunder or a tornado, my kids come running and they put their head in my shoulder and I wrap my arms around them and I hide them. I hide them because they think in their minds, if I don't see it and if I'm with dad, I'm protected. And so I put my arms around them and I protect them. This is exactly our position when we know Jesus. He has hidden us, protected us 
in Christ, and then to wrap it up in God. It's a double layer of protection, and nothing can even come close to affecting it. I'm secure in Him. I'm hidden in the risen Savior and God Himself. The enemy cannot touch you. The enemy cannot destroy you. Sin cannot affect you. You're no longer dull or powerless. You're protected and you are sharp. Verse 4 says, And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. The God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has opened up the relationship for us to be hidden in Him. And when it's revealed to the world, you that are hidden in Him actually get to share in His glory. Not only do we get to sharpen our axe, but we get the knowledge to know that someday we're going to share in the glory of the Father because of what He did. We are mentally dangerous. We have the power to choose what's right and wrong. We have the power to set our sights and affections on Jesus, and we have the power to hide in Christ. We have the power to resist the enemy, to push back darkness, and we have the power to do exactly what God has called us to do. If you want God's best for your life, you will have to learn to say no, not to just things that are wrong, but also things that are second best. Because whatever merely is good is not good enough. It's what's truly best. And when I say no to wrong things and no to things that are okay and say yes to the best, my life is directionally positioned to accomplish exactly the mission that God's called me to. So where are you positioned? Spiritually, Scripture says that you're hidden in Christ. Do you act like it? Where are you looking? Where are you headed? Where are your sights focused? On heaven realities or on the realities of things around you? Are you focused on the Father or are you focused on the world? We can actually run to the Father every single time and he'll hide us, protect us, and he'll be with us, and we can accomplish this dangerous task. Let's pray. God, this morning, we love you. It's because of you that we can overcome the enemy. It's because of you that our sin is gone, that you've finished the mission. It's done. And yet many times we live as though we are the ones that are trying to accomplish the task. And today you've asked us to sharpen our minds, to sharpen our thoughts, to focus and center our attention on you because it's done. Positionally, we are hidden in Christ, in the Father. Our minds can be alert. Our minds can listen and destroy every idol that would elevate itself above you. God, our hearts are idol makers. Our minds are idol creators. Help us with this thought and this idea to refocus our minds on you, to refocus our affection on you. And that, God, we would be mentally dangerous to the enemy. We love the Father. We are so grateful that we can run to him over and over and over again. And you're always ready. You're always ready to accept us. You're always ready to wrap us in your arms. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.
um, when I think about the things we just talked about, when our focus is on the lies and the idols, whatever they may be, on the things of this world, really all we're doing is just watering a fake plant. We're wasting our time. And that song we sang right before this one, it says, we, our heart needs a surgeon. We need him. We need Christ to cut those things out of the way, get them out of the way so we can focus on what is true and what is eternal and the things that are of him. Yeah, there are things in our future that if we don't take care of these things right now, we're never going to be ready for the things that are coming. And God's called us to something big. And even here at Bethel, there's certain things that we need to reorient in order to get to where God wants us to, and I think, to, to pursue. I think it's hard. It's like, focus. where do I even start? I don't know where to start. I know he wants me to do something, but I don't know where to start. And the, the basics are get on your knees, first of all. We learned, we read in Ecclesiastes today from the wisest man in the Bible, and he begged for wisdom. Yeah. He begged God for wisdom, and we can do that. James says, ask. We have that ability. And so ask him. Get on your knees and beg him for guidance and wisdom and get in his word, and that's where he can guide you and show you what steps to take and be around people that will push you in his direction, that will point you in the right way. We have so many things pulling us in the wrong direction and pushing us away from him. We need people that will push us to him. So we need people to call us out. We need people to pour into us. We need people to point out things that we need to focus on. Um, there's many times that we don't even know what we're supposed to do, so we need other people. And that's why coming together as a church family is so encouraging, because I can encourage you, you can encourage me, I can call you out, you can call me out, and we can together walk forward, and we need each other. I, I think it's interesting with uh, Gideon that um, the person that protected him was his father. And so his father quickly kind of reoriented his life and then protected him. Um, his father was the one that protected him from the mob. Um, now, if you want to over-spiritualize it, we can think in our own lives, we have fear, he went at night, he cut, out, cut down the idols at night, um, he hid, and then the mob came to get him, and his father's like, hey, let, let Baal defend himself. Well, in our lives, fear may get us, and we know the steps we need to take, fear may get us, but our father is the one that's going to protect us, our heavenly father. He's the one that we can hide in, he's the one that can wrap his arms around us over and over and over again. And so here at Bethel, it's the love and lead, the love and lead together. We need one another lovingly leading one another in truth to find and follow Jesus. It's a powerful thing. Um, that song we just sang had a line that says, my heart has been in his sights yeah. since, since before I was born. So I'm um, thinking about what you talked about earlier. You gave me just a tiny piece, tiny, tiny piece of reality of what it looks like to be in God's sights. I mean, it's way more than everything you did, all that crazy <laughs> stuff. What God wanted for me was so much more than that. Like, I was in his sights since before I was born. Yep. And so. And you may be here today, and you may think, oh, I'm accidentally here. Someone invited me. Someone brought me. But actually, you've been in his sights long before you were born. This day was preordained. You're here because of him, and he's chasing you down. And so we just want you to say yes to him. If you need help, we'd love to help you. There's plenty of people here that would like to help you. And if you need Jesus, let us know. We'd like to point you right to him because he's been pursuing you. So. And. Don't try it without him. It's right. too hard. You've done that, right? We've done that. Let's yep. get that in the past, and let's go forward with him, with each other, to what his plan is. Yep, it's good. We're so glad you guys came. Uh, 
go make up that hour somewhere. This I don't know. I don't know how you're going to do that. But it's go over. and no enjoy your afternoon and your evening. Have a great week. We're so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for coming. If you need anything, if you have any questions, please let us know. Here at Bethel, we exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. Love you guys. Have a good afternoon.